there in podcast land welcome to caregiving is a ministry where we look at the word of god through the lens of caregiving so let's get started we're going to do the last portion of first corinthians so i'll be reading from the new american standard version and we're starting in chapter eight so chapter eight verses four through seven So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that any idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Chapter 10, verses 23 through 30. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question or conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thanked God for? So, let's unpack the last portion of 1 Corinthians. We'll do a recap, though, first. The first part of the letter, remember he was reminding his beloved Corinthians that they were holy, that their actions were to reflect their holiness, which is no different from the church today. We are a holy priesthood, as the Apostle Paul, I mean, as the Apostle Peter informed us in one of his letters. Therefore, we are to act like we are holy. Not the belief that we are better than others, but that we are united with Christ, individually as well as collectively, as brothers and sisters. We are one with him and with each other. Our behaviors are to reflect the relationship that we have in Christ. The second portion was still in line with this sanctification or being set apart or holiness. He discussed the structure of the marriage and behaviors and attitudes between husbands and wives. He discussed sexual immorality between um, the believers, remembering that in the Greco-Roman culture, orgies, orgies were something that were very common. But now that the Corinthians are Christians, that they can indulge in those types of practices. And that within Christian community, you know, we're to be held accountable 
to each other, to police each other up when we're not displaying godly behavior. Remember, this was in reference to the man who slept with his father's wife and was boasting about it, and the congregation did not react and didn't do anything. He urged us, we are to be accountable to each other, and we are to do it in love. Now, in this last portion, Paul is addressing dietary behaviors, (laughs) you know, foods offered to idols. And once again, history tells us that during this time period, it was very um, pagan. We know the term pagan. It was a pagan culture. So the believers found themselves surrounded by many gods. The Roman Empire had their own set of gods, Zeus, Apollos, Athena, all these gods, right? But what they also did was when they would go and conquer a new people, they would allow the, the, the people whom they conquered to also worship their gods as well. So there were all sorts of gods around. They just kind of added these new group, these new gods to the crew. So you had all of these gods to be worshipped and to make sacrifices to. Um, You had the ones that you had to make sacrifices to on the Roman Empire and then your personal God, you know, the God of your tradition. And um, it was not only a religious act to go and make sacrifices to the gods, but it was also a political act, one that was sanctioned by Rome, something that every citizen was supposed to do. And now we have the Christians, right, who are refusing to pay tribute to any other God other than the one true living God. And this is what began to really start putting them at odds with the Roman Empire because Caesar was also considered a God and expected to be worshipped. And now you see how the the culture that they were in pressed upon them in their ideas and it challenged them, right? It challenged them. And Paul is saying, you need to be new. You are new creatures. That's in his second letter, though. So as sacrifices were made to the gods after the ritual was completed, the meat was free to be eaten. So what does the church do with this? (laughs) And that's a question that they ask Paul. Paul instructs them to once again um, to bring to the forefront that they serve God. So he reminds them who they are and that they are now in Christ. So he speaks of the strong and the weak. And the strong are the people who um, understand that there are no such thing as other gods. There is one God, the true God, right? And so what's being offered is really being offered to nothing, in essence. But then he reminds them, and them being the strong people, that since they are one in Christ, they are not merely to just think about the knowledge that they have, which is correct, because he tells them, you are correct. There are no gods, so it's not being sacrificed anything. But you need to think of your brothers and sisters and think about where they're coming from with their level of knowledge, which isn't where yours is right now, which I think ties into the um, ninth chapter where he talks about running the race. We run our race as individuals, but we also run it collectively, like a relay team. And as each one of us are given a lane and a time and a distance that we're to run, if we don't do our portion of the run, the next person, you know, the person beside us, we place them at a disadvantage. We must consider our brothers and sisters in regard to our behaviors. 
analyzing what we do um, by the witness we have for Christ and how our actions will reflect that relationship, plus how our actions will help or hinder our brothers and sisters and how our actions will hinder or help non-believers. That's a lot, right? It's like too much. But that's what God has called us to do. Remember, our life is no longer our own, but it is his. And so as we surrender to him, we surrender to him. We no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. So in eating the sacrificial food, Paul is saying to the strong, will be the strong and understand that you have weaker um, brothers and sisters among you and If you exercise your strength, you end up crippling them. And then there is no unity in the body of Christ. And this is why Paul then goes on to say, you know, what may be lawful for me to do is not beneficial. Yeah, I can go ahead and eat the food to um, the animals that have been sacrificed, I mean, to the, the meat that's been sacrificed. But my poor brother and sister here, they're struggling, right? Yeah. I can eat the meat because I understand that it wasn't sacrificed to anything. But my sister Sarah over there, she'll lose her juju. It'll make her question her faith, question me. And I can't have that. So in order to keep unity and peace in the body, I will not eat that piece of chicken that's been sacrificed to nothing. (laughs) Praying that the Lord will bring my sister Sarah to a higher level of knowledge soon because I really would like a piece of chicken. (laughs) But until he does that, I refrain because I cannot only think about myself. I have to think about my community. And that's what the second commandment that Jesus spoke of reflects, doesn't it? To love yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God so much that you surrender your will to him and to love your neighbor so much so that you're like, yeah, okay, I won't, I won't do that because it'll hinder them. Then he goes ahead and he gives them um, some information on how to interact with non-believers, right? And he basically says, if you're invited into their homes and you want to go, do not try to impose upon them Christian practices. Why? Because they're not Christians. (laughs) So they're not going to do the same things that we do. And so you eat what's placed in front of you. And you say grace and you know God has blessed your food. Now, if they tell you something, you know, then you say, oh, I have to refrain from that. But I think it's, we do the contrary. What we do is we go into people's homes and we impose our beliefs on them, sometimes demanding that they adhere to what we like or what we will do. Now, if you're coming to my home, if I invite you to my home, yeah, we're going to bless the food collectively. I don't care whether you're a Christian or not. It's my home. That's what I'm going to do. If I go to your home, and you don't bless the food. I'm not going to say, hey, let's bless the food. Unless I know you're a Christian and you're just talking. But like if you're an unbeliever, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to silently bless my meal and I'm going to enjoy it. You know, I really don't listen to vulgar music. Although I still like Prince. He's my boy. God's still working on me with that. But if I go to someone's house and, you know, they're an unbeliever. Or if they are a believer and they're playing vulgar music or something like that. I don't make them turn it off. I just may not go back to their house the second time if I get invited. Or if they're watching something, you know, that normally I don't watch. If I can go into another room and do something else, I may do that. 
But normally what I have experienced is I don't have to ask people to do anything on my behalf. They make, they make concessions for me. They've already seen my walk and the relationship that I have with Christ and that I take it seriously. And so them seeing that in me, they go ahead and they make adjustments. I don't have to. I'm just saying. I had to read this book for um, my class, and there are a number of essays in it. It's on vocation, um, Christian vocation, and and all the, um, not all, but um, various um, believers from from the early church, you know, up until now, and little essays on what different um, people have said. And there was this one from Ignatius Antonio, and it was an essay, and he 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 makes this he's he's sending the letter back to other believers where he's getting ready to he's on his way to Jerusalem I believe or somewhere in Rome and he's going to be executed and the letter is to fellow believers saying do not interfere allow this to happen because he wants to die for Christ but in the essay he makes this statement I don't want to merely be called a Christian but to actively be one And that's what I think. I think that pretty much sums up this first letter to the Corinthians. Paul is urging them to be Christians in thought and in practice. We, no matter what season we find ourselves in, caregiving, a stretch of unemployment, divorce, relocation, new job, marriage, no matter what our season or situation is, God has called you and I to be Christians. What does that look like for you, dear caregiver, to be a Christian? For me, it was letting go of control that I didn't really have <laughs> and allow God to move in moms in my, my relationship and in the season, just learning to trust him. And in learning to trust him, being a Christian, trusting him and doing what the Holy Spirit placed upon my heart to do. For you, it could be walking in humility, allowing a family member or friend to help you who has asked and you keep refusing. Or it could be to reconcile the broken relationship with you and your loved one before it's too late or to repair the years of pain caused by a riff in the family to allow everyone within the family or those who want to to experience a better relationship with um, your loved one before God calls him or her home being Christians or it could be not to be so combative with the healthcare team that's there to assist you I am pretty sure that if you allow the Holy Spirit, you know, invite him in your heart, he'll show you some areas um, where you're not being a Christian. Being a Christian in thought and in practice is what God has called us to do as we run our race as individuals and collectively thinking of our personal relationship with God and surrendering to him and then thinking about our relationships with each other as we run collectively this race so that the world can see how good our God is and then to and and, and so in our doing that as individuals and collectively as a body 
then the outside world sees that. And to understand that we do have to die to self to be in Christ, but that it'll be worth it. And that he has so much in store for us if we would just get out of his way in our own way and allow him to do that. So today I urge you to be Christians. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful lesson. Thank you for allowing us to look at the letters um, Paul wrote, or the letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. No different than what we experience today, but we thank you for highlighting for us so that we can look and dissect and discover and then hopefully do better. We understand, Lord, that when you came into our hearts to save us, that you saved us so that we could get closer to you and also that you could use us to draw others to us so that you could show us a more excellent way. And yes, that will require some sacrifice on our part, sacrificing what we may want to do, even though there is nothing in your word that says that we can't do it, but with the full knowledge of it may hinder someone else's walk. Forgive us for being selfish. Forgive us for trying to bend your word to what we would have it say. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to accept the season of caregiving that we're in and just allow you to minister to our hearts. We know that it, you, I know that you know that it is difficult for us as it was difficult for me. But with you being there with me as you are with my fellow caregivers, it was easier because I felt your presence. And so, Father, today I ask that you allow each and every person who's listening today to feel you, to feel the comfort that you provide the safety, the understanding that everything will work out for your glory. Dry their tears. Give them peace. And help us to be Christ-like in our thoughts and in our practice. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving eating all that turkey for those of you who um, celebrate Thanksgiving. And I will see you tomorrow. Now go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.